When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko, David Anderson along doing the video. We are doing another play. This is, might be the last one of these for a while, at least for a little bit, because free agency is around the corner and we're going like uh, we're going like bonkers for free agency week next week in the Orange and Brown Talk podcast feed. We're just going to do like round tables multiple times next week, constantly, I think, talking about the news of the day. What do the Browns do? What do they not do? Who moved? Who didn't move? So look for that next week. But we are coming to the end of this stretch where we use one play from 2020 to tell you something about 2021. And it's Ellis Williams time. And listen, we're doing Bark Week. I mean, listen, we got to we got to do what we got to do. I hope people it is Nick Chubb Bark Week at Cleveland.com slash Browns. We're writing about Nick Chubb. We're doing all kinds of stuff. The Scott Patsko Nick Chubb breakdown from last week. Scott, you were ahead of the game, but like that is an important part. When we're thinking about Nick Chubb this week, people have to go back and listen to your breakdown from a week ago, right? I mean, that really told us something about what's up with Nick Chubb. It's almost like we know the future, right? I'll tell you what. <laughs> Somehow we got we we learned. I don't know how we learned that this week was going to be Nick Chubb Bark Week, and we were ahead of the game. Yeah, I but, wonder uh, what Bark Week's coming up next. I don't. I don't know. I think we're just going to take a stab <laughs> in the dark. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's just worked out that way a couple of times, I think, where we've talked about the player that's coming up and, uh, you know, and we had information out there beforehand. But I think we really got into what makes him so good and what he does better than everybody else. And uh, Ellis wrote uh, even more on that uh, this week. I mean, there's a lot of things he does really well. Uh, so, yeah, we kind of dived into that or dove into that and uh, go back and check it out because if you're kind of trying to do all Nick Chubb, all week. That's something you should include in it. And Scott, you are the guy who sees the future. You do that post during the season where it's like, here's what's going to happen. And you write things like Ronnie Harrison's going to have an interception. And then he has an interception on Sunday. So we do believe Scott Pasco that you can see the future. I think that's a, that's a fair assessment. Um, now my cat somewhat damaged our crystal ball. It knocked it off the table. So late in the season, it got rough, uh, but I think I can get it repaired. We might be coming back with that next season. Respect, respect. Uh, I'd expense that, Scott. You may expense the crystal balls oh, for the company. Yeah. yeah, you're good to go. All right, so this is giving you a clue about a bark week that's coming down the line because guess what? Ellis Williams is diving in on Denzel Ward. Ellis, dive in. I've got to watch the tape. 
Yeah, before I get going, I just want to say for anyone who listened to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast yesterday, I was hosting in place of Dan Lobby and just let Doug Lay Maurice and Mary Kay Cabot talk the entire time. So now we're back on Gotta Watch the Tape. The power is back with your boy, L. Will. Doug, you're not getting any words in today. You got that hour of my time. Let me interrupt you real quick here, Ellis. (laughs) Imagine that. I, I felt so bad. It's like Ellis gets the spot in the hosting chair that Dan normally does. He just sat and watched Mary Kay and, and, and I yell at each other for 25 minutes. We are doing another roundtable draft to cap this week. We're doing a running back draft. Ellis, first pick for you, brother. Oh, That's just, the reward. Hey, I'll, okay. take, I'll take the charity. I'll take the patronizing. I'm not blow any of that. I, no, I, I appreciate the first pick. You earned it. When you listen to me rant, as long as you listened on the last podcast, you earned that number one pick. So make sure you guys are back for that. Friday podcast, another roundtable. But here, it's got to watch the tape and some Ellis Williams knowledge coming your way. Hey, it was great content yesterday. We're about to give you even better content today. Here we go. Got to watch the tape. Denzel Ward deep dive. So I thought it was time to talk about Denzel in a way, really like Scott laid out how we broke down Nick Chubb a week ago. Denzel is a guy who, on the surface, had a quality season, one worthy of praise and a contract extension. However, upon taking a closer look, Ward unfolds as a complicated case study of what the quote-unquote fringe number one corner may be. Let's start with the good. Ward earned a 72.8 overall grade from Pro Football Focus. He ranked That ranked 30th among all corners PFF graded. However, that ranking improves to 19th when only considering corners who played 400 or more snaps. Encouraging. Gets better. In 2020, he allowed a 64.2 passer rating, third best in football behind Xavier Howard of the Dolphins and Denver's Bryce Callahan. His 18 pass breakups were tied for third, along with Howard and James Bradbury of the Giants, another big name. Uh, His 45% catch rate was also near the top of the league. All that data points toward Ward being a top 12-ish cornerback worthy of anywhere in between Bradbury money, which is 14.5 per year, Tredavious White money in Buffalo, which is 17.5, and all the way up to Marlon Humphrey, who's the second highest paid corner behind Jalen Ramsey at 19.5 per year. Keep in mind, Denzel Ward is a one-time pro bowler, while both White and Humphrey have made at least one all-pro team. You guys, before I get into my play breakdown, any response to that data? Does that feel like where we're at with Denzel Ward? Go ahead, Scott. PFF uh, tweeted out something uh, earlier this year. He's the only cornerback below 40% completion percentage in single coverage over the last three seasons. He's a 31%. Um, again, it's, it's, you can find some stats, maybe uh, lean a little bit the other way and make you think that he's, he's not that good, but that's, that's a stat I think that really sticks out. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of things you're saying, it's, it's kind of the picture that we've, we've had painted for us with, with Denzel Ward for sure. And I do think, I mean, it's always interesting when you talk about money and these guys, right? It's like, I think, I mean, he, he might end up getting paid higher than where you would rank him. It's like, oh, he's the third highest paid corner, but he's actually only the seventh best corner league. The bottom line is like, they have a good young corner that's worth paying. So like some of the specifics you can't get wrapped up in, but I think, and we'll get into this. I mean, I think, I think he's good. I don't think we've seen his ceiling yet, Ellis, either. Yep. And that's that's where this is about to get fun. So that's where I want to start the the good of Denzel Ward. And that brings us to our play breakdown. So let me set the scene first. 
It's week four. The Browns are up 49-38 versus the Cowboys with a minute 42 to play. Remember, Odell Beckham Jr. had just scored his 50-yard reverse touchdown on the prior drive, but Dallas just kept rallying. Five completions later, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys face a first down from the Browns' eight-yard line. Basically, four tries to throw it in the end zone and then attempt a two-point conversion to make it a field goal game. The Cowboys spread Cleveland out wide, three receivers, a tight end, and Zeke Elliott, who motioned to the bottom of the screen. The Browns are in a 4-5 sub package and appear to be playing zone defense. That is declared when Terrence Mitchell stays lined up with Zeke at the bottom of the screen. At the top of the screen, the Cowboys are running a deep corner by their number three guy, the guy closest to the right tackle. A speed out is being run by number two receiver in the slot. That's CD lamb and the number one receiver, Amari Cooper on the boundary to the sideline runs a slant. If the Browns were in zone coverage, that slant could be open. It worked for the Cowboys in the first quarter when Prescott threaded a needle to Cooper on a similar one-step slant, which Denzel Ward was in coverage on, and PFF did ding him for that. It was a boom-boom play that probably is Ward's fault, but just you know a better play by the offense. However, this play, the Browns are running what appears to be match coverage. Match coverage has several different variations. It, Nick Saban gets credit for founding it. There's a 100 different rules, but in its simplest form, Corners playing match coverage are taught to appear like they're playing zone, but it's actually man. That is an extreme oversimplification, but it works for this breakdown. Let's watch the play at full speed. Notice Ward starting at the number one receiver and driving on the football once Dak throws it. It's a quick play that I think requires slow motion to actually understand what's going on at the snap. So now let's check it out in slow motion. At the snap, Ward saw a route he recognized, that one-step slant, and stayed on Cooper. He in the slot corner, which I believe is Tavier Thomas, communicate extraordinarily well here. That's what match coverage takes. Expert communication amongst your secondary. Notice the gestures each other, each other make toward each other on the play prior to the snap. Then, seamlessly, they slide past each other without disrupting their drops. How many times have we seen a pick play go bad, right? Two DBs collide and the offense scores easily. That could have happened here, but from coaching down to communication and an application on the field, the Browns and Ward now this rep. The high man Ward slides under a looping Thomas, allowing Ward to swallow the space between him and Cooper. He then gets his eyes on the quarterback while Cooper is finishing his laxed one-step slant. Once Dak throws, Ward beats him to the spot and intercepts it. The tight view doesn't show much but the catch. I think that's worth seeing this because of this. This could have been an incomplete pass without Denzel Ward. B.J. Goodson probably gets in the way of this ball, and it's ruled incomplete, allowing Dallas three more tries at the end zone. But Denzel Ward ended the game. And before I get into why this is a great rep, you guys, I just walked you through it. What do you see here? What stands out? What impresses you? He pounced. Yeah. That that th- There are a lot of picks um, I don't get wrapped up in picks sometimes. I, I, there, I mean, you guys break it down. That's why it's worth breaking down plays individually. Sometimes picks are like, well, I would have caught that too. Quarterback threw it right to me, right? Like the guy ran a terrible route. There was pressure. The quarterback made a terrible read. This is one of those plays where I don't know how many corners in the league make this pick. It, it's clear that he had something from film study that he, he had an idea of what was coming. He stalked. The receiver, he stalked Lamb like this, baited the throw a little bit, and then the speed showed up. The Denzel Ward 4-3 speed shows up to get him in position to not just knock it down but make the play. Scott, this is one of the – that's why you picked it, Ellis. This is a I don't know. Show me the corners in this league 
there's like four parts to this. Who could do all four parts that lead to not just a knockdown, but a pick? Yeah, I guess my first reaction to this story or to this uh, to this play is the two areas where it could have been disastrous. Like, I know you mentioned the uh, the communication there, and you know, Tavier Thomas had a bit of a rough go in the slot when he was in there early in the season, and we don't know for sure, like what kind of communication was going on, but it certainly does look like Thomas is backing up and there's, you know, acknowledgement that Ward is coming across and you're right. That's, you know, they bump into each other. It's over. Um, the other thing is, you know, if Goodson's a little quicker to react, you know, he could also take Ward out of that play and, right. you know, it's a catch they're laying on the ground and receivers walking into the end zone. So um, things worked out in their favor. I think, the right read there was to go, I forget who you said was in the slot, but that's probably the right target there. The guy Thomas or yeah, Thomas followed to the outside. But yeah, I mean, this is, this was, this was the Denzel Ward game. If you guys remember, I mean, he had that, I think he tipped a pass too that Goodson picked yep. off, had that cool duck under the block tackle that for a, a big, uh, for a big play. This was, you know, what, four games into the season. It's like Denzel Ward is on fire and he's headed for the pro bowl and, this is kind of where all that kind of happened, you know, just encapsulated in this one game. And this play is, is obviously a big part of that. And also proof that Dak doesn't deserve his contract. It's like, Hey, threw a pick. Well, you're giving him 60 million a year. He's good. Game was on the line. He choked. And, but, but I don't, I'm like, I, it's not like he did this to, to Sam Darnold. This is Dak. This is Dak who had been like, who set the field on fire to lead the Cowboys back, right? To create this opportunity for Dallas to be, he threw for 500 yards in this game. So that's like bonus points on top of that. He's not doing this to some random dude. He's doing this to one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, it's a great point. And I have um, the individual yards allowed in uh, these games. And I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Of those 500 yards, Denzel allows 63. You know, that's, yeah, that tells you any, and, and it's not like they were throwing away from him. still co- uh, targeted seven times. Uh, Amari only got two of those and then a, a couple check downs, a tight end throw. It, it is like Scott said, the Denzel game. We're going to get into on the back end of this pod, some of the star matchups that I wish Denzel would have brought a little more, but this is a prime example of star quarterback, number one receiver. I mean, th- three good receivers, you know, a number one at Amari Cooper, a first round pick in CD lamb, and then a, a probably one of the better number twos in Michael Gallup. There's not a miss on the field. And like Scott said, this was a Denzel game. This is where you, you had the quarterback, the receiving talent. He still throws for 500, but Denzel comes out um, with two game changing plays, the game sealer and a 78.4 overall grade from PFF. I, I don't know what else you could ask for. And, and I, we know you love traits, Ellis. Everybody loves traits, but it's like you can see the multiple traits. Yeah. Like you've got to, this guy, you've got to have a lot to be able to make this work. And, and Denzel's got a lot going for him when you're looking for what a great NFL cornerback looks like. Yeah. And that's what I think this play embodies. It, it, it's the, the rep that ultimately highlights a lot of what Denzel does really well. He's comfortable and calm in zone coverage here trusting his eyes and film study to gravitate him toward the football and not just on this play as we briefed he did it this entire game his athleticism awards him quick twitch reflexes that help him break on routes and drive on runners 
uh, Scott brought up the the play where he slides under uh, blockers. That's a, a similar play to this with just him recognizing something and using that twitch to make a play. He's tough in the run game, just like on this play. Now, listeners might be like, what? This is an interception. Where's the physicality? He's not afraid of a boom-boom play here. I mean, that's Amari Cooper, B.J. Goodson, and Denzel Ward coming at a point of collision, and Ward is the smallest frame man in that group by far, right? And he's the one that comes up with the football. Like like Scott said, I'm glad he pointed it out. I had not really thought about it. B.J. Goodson could have destroyed this play in the wrong way for everybody. He The coaches probably would have liked to see him actually gain more depth and defend that goal line a little more. You can't be angry with where he ends up but there is a potential there for for some chaos and somehow ward comes out on top of that meaning for an undersized guy he really is one hell of a physical corner uh the numbers also back up what i saw on tape of wards improved physicality and tackling he had missed just five tackles in 2020 which brought his missed tackle rate under 10 percent for the first time in his career so before i throw it back to you guys i want to make clear that i i I purposely said that this play highlights some of Ward's best traits because like breaking down um, Odell and Baker stuff or even some of the Nick Chubb stuff. And that's why the Nick Chubb run was so special because he did so many things in one play. Half the time with corners, the best stuff they do, the camera doesn't go to them. The ball's not coming their way or they're only asked to do one of those two things. I would have needed to show another play to make this point clear, but take my word for it. I watched a lot of Denzel Ward reps. He's an excellent press man cover corner. He's in your face. He's quick. And he takes honorable, honorable risks. It's some of those same risks that we're going to get into that also exist within his bad game tape and get him in trouble. But simply not many corners are confident or skilled enough to play man coverage the way that he's willing to do it. That just takes confidence backed up with a skill set. And Ward shows that anytime he's in your face, go turn on AJ Green, turn on Amari Cooper, and we'll get into some of the other ones that didn't go his way. But just to have the confidence to stand there mano a mano with the game's best is a trait you really can't put a price tag on in this league. I'm so glad to hear you talk about this confidence stuff because, like, that's what I was thinking there. That, like, you've got to, he's not playing off the guy he's not just happy to make the tackle he's not just happy to reach his arm in and kind of knock it down but specifically to this man coverage thing he was at ohio state at a time where they played press man every snap so that's what they came up on and they don't do it that way right now but they were putting guys out there when they you know his his sophomore year when he's playing with marshawn Lattimore and gary on conley it's three future first rounders at corner they're rotating, rotating three guys for two spots and they're pressed up let's go challenge one-on-one every snap and it, it breeds something in you. And then his senior year, he's the guy and they're doing it more. And, you know, maybe that's not always the right thing. That was the right thing for them to do back then. You have to have that kind of talent to do it, but I do think it instilled. I don't think now Conley hasn't been quite as good. I don't think it's coincidental that Marshawn Lattimore and Denzel Ward came in the league ready to go. Like, let's go. Because they lived it every snap at Ohio State. And this, again, this is in him in part because of that. But, Scott, I think the, the confidence here, without the confidence, you can have the film study and the skill set, but you don't give your cha- yourself the chance to make the play. No, and look, he's, he came busting out of the gate, like you said, as a rookie. And I think I, I read a stat. He 
was second in the league in PFF grade for man coverage as a rookie. So he like set the bar really high for himself right away. And ever since then, it's, can we, can you keep Denzel Ward on the field for an entire season and, you know, get the most out of him? And that's, you know, obviously a conversation to have, but when I watch this play, I think it's worth noting uh, the job Joe Woods does here and just calling this defense in this situation. Um, he gets, they only rush four. Dak cannot really step into this throw. He's and, and another second and uh, Miles Garrett has pushed his man into Dak's face. So uh, this is the kind of defense that Joe Woods wants to play. It's good coverage, yeah. rush with four, get the job done up front and, you know, make plays like this. So this is a really good example of uh, what, you know, Joe Woods is hoping to see more of next season maybe a little more versatility on who he can have on the back end of this defense, but this is, this is Joe Woods right here too. All right. So now we got, are we doing the, are we doing the bad now? Are we, uh, we got to tell both sides of the tape, Doug. But I think it's interesting because I do think like there's, there's, if you're talking about a confident corner, what, what was the kind of phrase with risk that you said, was it a, a, a smart risk or something? It was like honorable, honorable risks, honorable risk. I mean, it's like, right. If you're going to take any risks, nobody goes hundred percent on your risk. That's exactly. otherwise it wouldn't be a risk. So that what's worth it. What's not. I love discussions like that. And we'll get into that next. on got to watch the tape. Doug Marie, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko back on got to watch the tape. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Browns drop a review in the orange and Brown talk feed. Love to hear what you think. All right. So, I mean, this is true, right? You can't as much as, I mean, we're not, tr- this wasn't the intention of like, well, I guess it was. Good plays. Eh, we don't want to just run like, I mean, we didn't do an Andres and Dale play. We're doing good plays, but we can't pretend that the other side doesn't exist, but it probably exists more with corners. Like, we didn't have to show Nick Chubb getting stuffed for no yards. We know it exists, right? But there's no like real risk to that. It's like Nick Chubb, every snap is trying to run for a touchdown. You just don't do it every single time. There are decisions that Denzel Ward is forced to make on every play. And if you never take a risk, you're never going to be great. So Ellis, let's go. Let's go. I want to hear this. This is life, Ellis, too. I hope, young Ellis, that you apply this to your life as well. Honorable risks, the Ellis Williams way. In life and in football. I'd read that book. That's a good memoir. Write that down. But let's apply it to Denzel first. We're gonna work. We're gonna work on that, and I'm gonna try and get in the Barnes and Noble in Crocker Park here. That that would just be an ego trip for me, wouldn't it? I see Terry Pluto everywhere. When's my book going up? <laughs> I love. Let's do it. We'll get Terry on and give you some advice. That's what's up. All right, but Doug's right. It, it's the sides of both coins when we're talking about evaluating corners. And I love the point he made about Nick Chubb or playing offense. It's like the offense isn't always going to be successful, but their mistakes, aside from quarterback or a. a blatant fumble aren't as obvious corners have to have a short memory and that is not cliche it's because play in and play out they're out there trying to get got they're trying to get exposed they're trying to get beat deep and things happen in this league and when as I concluded the good part of this dive the best corners become the best corners by taking those honorable risks I mean think of a guy like Marcus Peters I mean he allowed that 30 yard touchdown to Richard Higgins and on Monday night, got physical with him, got tangled up, stuff happens. You're still not going to take Marcus Peters off the field for the most part. So when we're talking about Denzel Ward, 
because of his aggressiveness, because of his confidence and his ability, and I love what Doug laid out about his uh, his nurturing and development at Ohio State. That is all accurate in the fact that when you're put in that one-on-one, man-on-man mindset every day at a college program like Ohio State, you become a fiend. You become a monster. And I did not know that about him, but I'm glad you shared it because I see it on tape. This is an example, however, against the Pittsburgh Steelers where it goes the other way for Denzel. It's his allowed 28-yard touchdown versus James Washington. And for the longest time, I thought it was Deontay Johnson, which gave Denzel a little bit more credit. Like, James Washington's not a bad receiver by any means, but I – I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt that it was Deontay. It's actually James Washington. Regardless, I'll explain why this happens and what makes the receiver pretty much unimportant. Anyone probably could have executed this because of what Denzel really does to himself. So the Browns are in a cover four shell and the Steelers throw an out and up towards Ward on the right sideline. At the snap, Ward gains depth before fixating on Washington. Notice his eyes, his helmet, where they are. When he keys the out, which again is film study and recognition, the same recognition that got him the interception in Dallas costs him here because as soon as he keys the out, he peeks at Big Ben, who takes his hand off the football. Every high school and college defensive back would have fell for this. It goes against every rule young DBs are taught. When quarterbacks take their hand off the football, expect throw. But this is the NFL. That's Ben Roethlisberger, and you are the number four overall pick. Ward gets toasted on this one with a, well, what are you going to do play? There is actually a solution. Keep eyes on your man that allows you to maintain your distance. And if the out is completed, life goes on. I don't hold this against him, but if he is beat on another out and up next season, you'll start to grow concerned. But again, you really end this point with how I started it. Without the honorable risk he takes, you probably don't get the, de- the interception that we started this dive with. So it's acceptable but it cannot become a trend. You guys agree? I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what the right balance is, right? Because it's right. got like this film study stuff. All right. We know, okay, we've shown it on film. We know Denzel watched it. We know he's seen this. Now we're going to use this film study against him, right? And we're going to do a thing we haven't shown. Scott, I, I, like, I don't know what the right balance is. And I don't know how you get away from having this happen sometimes if you're smart and aggressive, Sometimes, as Ella says, they're gonna you're gonna get God. I, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. You you want his aggressiveness, and I wonder maybe his if his desire to to bite on that had something to do with the point in the game that it happened, <laughs> and the fact that the Browns were behind and they needed something to happen. You know, yeah, seven seventeen zero with the obviously the Baker pick six and just no momentum. It, it's a great point, Scott. Right, um, and and also I guess one of the things I noticed even like during the season when we were, we watched this play sometimes is I think it's red wine. They're trying to disguise their coverage and he drops back out of the box and he and Sandejo, I believe both go for the same guy in the middle of the field. And I don't know if, you know, everybody's got their assignment on, on the cover four, but maybe if he shaded more to the outside, maybe this goes differently. Not saying he's going to get over there and, and break up this pass, but um, maybe, maybe it's somewhat different. Maybe, Redwine does shoulder some of this a little bit. I'd be curious to know what Woods thinks about his performance on this play too. But yeah, I think, look, cornerbacks are going to get beat. And, you know, Denzel Ward, uh, the passer rating against through what the first 10 games or however many he played in a row there was like over 100. But quarterbacks are only completing like 55% of their passes against him. 
last season, it basically comes down to he gave up four touchdowns, only had two picks, and things like that can skew your your passer rating. But yeah, you're gonna have to live with this. I think you just hope it doesn't happen again, and maybe better safety play does help. That would make sense because like, is there a part of this, Ellis? That's like, man, if you're gonna bite, bite hard. Like he wasn't within 30 yards of Washington by the time he caught it because he bit so hard because he was being so aggressive. Because if they would have thrown the out, he would have picked it off. Except they knew that he knew that Ben's been in the league for 50 years. Like I just the the the, the thing that would make you nervous, Ellis, is dialing back the aggression that takes the bad play away, but also takes the pick against Dallas away. And that is what Joe Woods and Denzel Ward have to figure out together. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. And Scott, I'm glad he brought up the the safety play because Denzel gets no help here. Uh, He also got no help on the first touchdown in Dallas from the safety play with Anderson Dejo being a step late. And the Jets touchdown that PFF also dinged him for, he got no credit with bumping into Carl Joseph in, what was that, like week 16 or whatever it was. Where I'm going with this is, you're right. You don't tell Ward to lose his aggression. What you do is you upgrade safety and allow – the safety and cornerback relationship to grow. You have a, a, a deep safety on that side that knows that Denzel is going to be a little bit more aggressive or take this play because of field recognition. You have that natural drop. You're not going to worry about an underneath route because, all right, my guy on the outside is taking that, jumping that out. I need to cover him just in case. That should come with better talent back there. DBs getting used to playing with each other and not having a, a, a defensive backfield of interchangeable parts, quite frankly. So do you think it'll happen? Like, are you, if you were, if you're being Joe Woods and you and Denzel are watching this bad play together, Ellis, do you tell Denzel to do something differently? Now, of course, I mean, I get, I get, but, but like, is the, is the intention correct? And that, and that Joe Woods is more going to go talk to his safety or is there something that Joe Woods be, would be telling Denzel, Hey, you still got to do this better on this play. I think that this is a safety conversation and I'm glad Scott brought it up because that is, you don't want to lose your aggression on the outside and your feel your uh, tape recognition. Once you're second guessing your eyes and what you learned in the film room, you're being counterproductive of your time spent in film study. So keep the aggression, get better safety play, trust your instincts because there's actually one area of his game that I think Joe Woods is having more detailed conversations with Denzel about rather than taking the bait on out and ups. I, I do want to ask a question about the grading of stuff like this, as we're talking about this, Scott, is this, can this be like a complicating factor in things like PFF grades that if it's like, Hey, Denzel Ward gave up a touchdown, but also that he had got no safety help here where theoretically a better safety might've helped him. And then his grade wouldn't be a bad, like, does that kind of stuff factor in sometimes? I don't think this has as big of an impact on his grade as we might think because this is one play and yes, it was a touchdown and that does show up uh, in, in how they evaluate, but he played hundred percent of the snaps and just about every game he was, he was active for this season. And I think two of the games where he didn't, he played like 95, 97%. So it's all those plays looked at all you know together. And even as people who are watching the game for us or for fans or whoever, these are the plays we remember, but there were, you know, 70 other defensive snaps where Ward, you know, was doing really good things or whatever that, you know, you have to kind of factor into it. Yeah. This was a, again, a touchdown is bad. The touchdown in this game is bad because it pretty much, you know, it's over uh, after this. And, 
but it isn't so much the impact of the game. I think that that's looking at, or that factors into the grade as much as just overall body of work and play by play, how they perform overall. And that overall includes over 70 snaps. Yeah. Okay. But, but there are Ellis as good as he is. There are some inconsistencies like how, what specifically can he do to maybe reach this next level that we think is maybe out there for him? Yep. The, the next point he reaches, he goes from top 10 corner fringe, number one corner to elite, you know, like game stopper, Jalen Ramsey, Richard Sherman type level, right? Like that's the ultimate goal. Does he have the potential to get there? I believe he does, but so far he's come short against other teams, quote unquote, number one guy in some big spots. So I'll, I'll lay it out like this because they are, they do come in moments and Scott's right where it's about the body of work of a cornerback. He's out there for 70, 80 snaps. You, you don't see many mishaps, but to reach that upper echelon type, that, 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 that best of the best surface is what we're talking about. And to get there, it, it takes excellence. Right. And too many times Ward has been the, on the wrong end of some highlight reel plays. Travis Kelsey dicing him up at Arrowhead and the playoff game comes to mind. Tyreek Hill had an impressive jump ball fade over Denzel in that same game. The Browns challenged the completion and lost. In 2019, Cortland Sutton beat Denzel on a third and nine one-step slant, really turned him around. On the very next play, the 6-4 Sutton climbed Ward for a 20-yard posterizing score. See the trend there? Tyreek Hill at 5-8 and Sutton at 6-4, both highballed Denzel. That's a shortcoming. Aside from everything the tape showed me, Ward's PFF game-by-game grades are worth checking out for anyone listening. It's an assortment of mostly blues, dark greens, and limes, which are all good grades, but with a mix of some unexplainable reds, like the Jets game, the Giants game, and some below-average outings versus the Colts in Kansas City. It's also important to note, and as I wrote this essay out, I didn't really know where to plug it in, but it's just Scott already teased it. We have to mention it. I don't know how much discussion it's worth because it might just be what it is at this point. The most games Ward has played in a season is 13. That came in his rookie year. The past two seasons, he's played 12 games each. This past season, obviously, being a mixture of injury and both COVID. I don't know what that means, but it's worth mentioning. So all that aside, before we get to my conclusion, that's Ward. The good, bad, and in between. Scott, what do you think of the injury thing? Uh, I think it's, I think it's hard. I think it's one of the hardest things to analyze in sports is like, when is the guy injury prone and when is the guy unlucky? And then you do start getting into like body structure and how much weight does he carry and how big is he and what's the broader his shoulders and, and how does he play? Like, it's one of those things, like, do you throw your body around? And there's part of this is like, well, I don't know if you're like, you're maybe a smaller guy, but you're super freaking aggressive. You throw your butt. What do you say? Don't. Right. I mean, you can tell Allen Iverson to stop going to the baskets because he's five eleven. I'm not saying that's exactly Denzel Ward, but I am very conflicted about stuff this time. I don't know how to apply it here, Scott. How would you apply the injury discussion to Denzel Ward? Yeah, that, that is hard. What was like 2018? What it was the or 2019 rather? It was the hamstrings, right? Him and Greedy Williams both had yep. him. And they were out for a while, and I mean that's not because of your stature, you know. That's just something that happens with with all players, and I think it is rough. Um, I mean, last season was going really well for him. And then, you know, the COVID thing hit. I think if you're, look, even beyond the injuries, I think cornerback, like the fluctuation in play from year to year in quarterback is more than really any other position. 
guy could be really good and have really good grades one year and next year, maybe not so great. Doesn't mean he like became a bad player all of a sudden. It's just the situations maybe they were put in. So much is dependent on other things happening around you when you're out there playing corner, like we've showed with these plays. I mean, safety help, inside help, um, pressure on the quarterback, you know, all those things factor in. And I think with him with injuries, I don't know. I I have it. I would like to go through and see how many other teams in the NFL have had the issues the Browns have had with injuries a cornerback or less two years between him and greedy Williams. It's, it's been a bit much. Um, and that's why they're going into this off season, probably needing help to kind of guard against somebody not coming back, somebody not being ready and that stuff. But I don't think, I, I don't think of him as injury prone or something like that. I think there's been, I think the injuries that he has had have been acceptable, I guess you would say. I mean, not size related. No. Yeah. And he proved that he was willing to get in there and tackle. He's not someone who avoids that stuff. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think it's size related. So I do think so. This past year was COVID stuff. I mean, like that's, you got to throw that out for a lot of guys. And I, I don't know whether we ever wrote this. I don't know. Am I allowed to just say stuff on podcasts that might not be true? That's allowed, right? Podcasts aren't real life. Isn't that the definition of podcasting? I think so. I think it's in the it's in the charter, podcast <laughs> charter that everybody signs when they start to start a new podcast. When when they came out of that camp in 2019 and like both starting corners had hamstrings that exploded, I assumed that they ran camp wrong. That like somebody like and I know I'm not trying like Freddie was very into like hey I don't want to coddle anybody right that that was sort of the thing of like coming off you, I thought maybe Freddie pushed it too hard. And I don't know if there was any miscommunication. I'm not trying to put it on somebody necessarily, but I did not put that on the players because it didn't make sense. It's like, what? Out of camp, both corners had hamstring issues. That's That feels like a trend to me. So that's the last two years that I don't put anything on Denzel in, in terms of like any of this stuff. And I just think, yeah, I don't think we should go into – 2021 expecting that he won't play 16 now if if it happens again then maybe go ahead else doug did he have any injury issues history at ohio state no i remembered mary Kay asking me about this i have a terrible memory no it didn't feel like a major thing i i i mean he might not i don't i don't want to say it wrong he might have had a concussion at ohio state and i i i don't know but it didn't feel like that no it that wasn't in my head now the thing i do want to talk about of my ohio state experience covering denzel when he came out, I thought the Browns taking him at four. I didn't see it. I thought they could have traded down and taken him later. When people were talking about, oh, they might be looking at Denzel at four, I thought, I don't think Denzel is a top 10 pick. Like, I didn't think he was as good as Marshawn Lattimore. And most of it was size-related. And in the 2016 playoff semifinal, I have it stuck in my head. They were throwing stuff to Mike Williams, who's in a top 10 pick for the Chargers, who's like 6'10". I mean, he's not 6'10", but in my head, he's 6'10", because he was catching stuff over Denzel Ward. So when you bring up Cortland Sutton, I have a couple flashbacks there. I don't – okay, I think Denzel personally is a great guy. I wrote a big story about his life and his family. He has a wonderful family. I think it's awesome that he's a local guy who wound up at Ohio State and with the Browns, and the Wards are awesome. I can't get out of my head that I wonder if he's an inch too short to be a top-tier corner. And, and I don't want to be unfair. I haven't yet shaken that. And I get it. Not everybody's Mike Williams. But Ellis, if we're talking about can you go out 
and really take care of the best receivers in the game, whether they're small, quick guys, whether they're big physical guys, it lingers for me. And I don't know if that's unfair. Doug, I'm going to answer that question by putting a bow on this dive without really coming to a conclusion. And that's kind of the beauty of this dive. Okay. Because diving deep into Denzel Ward's film was a circular experience, meaning I'm really right back where I started with him. He's a really good corner. He stays in front of most of his assignments. I trust his ball skills. He's shown impressive pass breakup numbers and timely interceptions in zone coverage. He tends to be instinctive, quick, and accurate when he reacts in press man, his feet and hips are fluid, keeping him in receivers pockets until the ball is thrown as a tackler. He brings it. His underslide is an example of both his willingness to tackle and his desire to improve against the run. I'm not worried about him on the edge at all versus the run or quick game screens, stuff like that. My only real concern with Ward stems from his battles with number one receivers. Like Doug is saying, Amari Cooper and Travis Kelsey both scored on him. He lost fade balls to Tyree Kill, a less impressive Sterling Shepard in New York this year, as I laid out in 2019. Cortland Sutton also high-pointed him. His size and limited on-field leaping ability will always concern me, not to mention his average of 12 games played per season. So in contract negotiations with Denzel, I'd be cool with paying him a $16 million APY. That's more than Trey Wayne signed with the Bengals a year ago, just under what Byron Jones and Xavier Howard make in Miami. It'll place him right above James Bradbury. However, similar to where the Browns find themselves with Baker Mayfield, though Baker commands way more money. I get that. The Browns will probably pay near top dollar for an upper middle class corner whose physical limitations won't ever allow him to be a top five at his position. But because I think quality corners with man coverage upside are more difficult to find than upper middle class quarterbacks, I fully endorse paying Ward anything under like 18 million. Because aside from Doug, I think we all can agree on this. If 18 million per year keeps Robert Jackson off the field in 2021 and beyond, then where do the Browns sign? I doubt Joe Woods has any interest in holding his breath for 60 straight minutes again, like he probably did back to back weeks versus Pittsburgh. And that's the point, whether he's a fringe number one corner or a true shutdown guy, the difference probably doesn't matter. Denzel Ward provides peace of mind often in life. And especially as we grow older, one cannot put a price tag on tranquility. Just as we said with Nick Chubb last week, it's time to pay the man extend Denzel Ward. And that is my Doug Marie size essay on a deep dive for Denzel. It was also very Doug Maurice like in that there was just random slander thrown in for no reason. You just <laughs> sideswiped the dude out of nowhere which is one of my specialties. So that was great. Scott, again, love the roster management size of this because the question for the Browns is not whether Denzel Ward is better than Jalen Ramsey. The question is not like, is he, he's the guy you have and do you want to keep him? And so like, if you have to pay, you know, $2 million more a year than he's quote worth. I mean, what are you going to do if you don't have him? You know, walk, what are you gonna do? He's your guy. So, like, that matters in this, right, Scott? I heard a conversation about quarterbacks and paying quarterbacks and how often a team has to pay a guy they like as if they love him. And I think Denzel Ward might fall into that category with Corner and the Browns. Um, you know, $18 million, I, that's a lot of money. I think PFF actually, have, they do contract projections too. They have it at uh, average per year of 20 point, basically $20 million. Wow. Uh, five they, have, they have Denzel at 20. Do they what? 
They have Denzel at 20. They have him at 20, 75 million fully guaranteed. <laughs> um, you know, again, I, we know what this team looks like in the secondary without Denzel Ward out there. And, I'm, and the Browns recognize that. So, you know, and they look, they made big, big splashes on the offensive side because they saw some of the key pieces, they, pieces they were missing and what happened to the offense when they didn't have those pieces. Denzel's the version of that on the defensive side. So again, I think you, you, you pay him like you love him, even if maybe you're not totally <laughs> in love with everything. I think he's obviously somebody that they need on the field. I think there's a really like interesting roster conversation around stuff like this. Like I, I think the Rams are on to something a little bit. I know sometimes they get criticism for trading those first round picks, but when you draft the guy, you're not a hundred percent sure. Right. So you're, you're using a first round pick on a guy and then he becomes your guy. And then the Scott point is great. You have to probably pay him like you love him. If you, even if you only like him. but if the Rams is like, all right, so Jalen Ramsey, it's like, well, we didn't have to develop him. We don't have any questions about what he is. We know exactly what he is. So let's trade our first round pick and go get him now and then pay him. Because if you draft your guy, you're going to have to pay him anyway. So why? But there's the risk early on, you know, less. And you might end up paying a light guy like you love him. If you wait and trade picks to get guys that you know you love, and then you pay love guys like you love them, right? I mean, I think, I think there's something to that, but that is not, that's theoretical. This is, this is actually happening. Denzel Ward is a Brown. He was a very solid pick at number four. He is a very good player for them. He's the best guy they have at what he does. You have to pay him like you have to. And, but then, but Ellis, then in the end, if you overpay Chubb a little bit, you overpay Baker a little bit, you overpay Denza. And now it makes it harder to sustain the winning. And that's when Andrew Barry has to work some magic with 20 other spots on the roster. Right. Yeah. That's why he makes, you know, three, $4 million a year, whatever it is. He's worth every penny because these are, mind splitting decisions. I mean, just where do you win? And that's, he is paid to predict the future, right? Or do the best that he can at that. And these next three years of how the Browns cap situation and roster uh, structure develop is going to be fascinating because you're right. Slowly, but surely they're going to have guys you pay. And the Rams are a good example of things that are working out and staying in that Super Bowl window. And unless teams like the Rams and Saints just never pay a price for manipulating the cap, which is uh, we could have a whole pod on that. They have made mistakes in extensions. Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, Brandon Cooks, all of them market setting deals. None of them are on the Rams anymore. They had to get rid of first round picks just to get rid of Goff. Eventually those bills become due, but like a lot of things in American life we don't deal with it till later right and that's what the Rams seem to be doing will the Browns become that team I don't know they're not in that position yet but that could be on the horizon because they've got a lot of guys that you're in like with perhaps not in love with but what are you without them why NFL salary cap management is like climate change by Ellis Williams (laughs) we'll deal with it later Scott you dropped that 20 million dollar figure on us from the PFF projections but again like that's a huge number but Again, what's the alternative, right? I mean, if that's what it takes, is that what it takes? Or or are the Browns at some point going to be in the business? Because I do believe, I believe in drawing hard lines with free agents because there's always somebody else around the corner. I think you have to be more flexible with your own guys, 
right? That there, I think there is some inherent added value to keeping a guy rather than adding a guy that you don't know, both emotionally and in terms of what you know about him and what he can and can't do. But Scott, is there a hard line on Denzel or is it, you know what, get it done? I think they're in a position where they, they have to retain him. I, look, they, they moved on from Joe Hayden. And if you remember, he signed a big five-year deal. He was signed through like 2019 and he only was here through 2016. Um, and then they put him in a position of having to find, you know, someone else at cornerback to kind of replace him. And they didn't get that really until two years later. So I think you, you have to pay him. The problem, as you said, is that you have other key guys coming up for extensions and contracts right now, which, which can be a problem. And someone could end up getting the short end of the stick. It might come down to us finding out what Andrew Barry really values positionally and, you know, how high up that ladder does he have cornerback versus that secondary defensive end versus running back versus tight end a few years from now. So, like, I think he should get an extension. I'm not here to say exactly how much, <laughs> uh, but clearly you, you need to retain, uh, you need to extend Denzel Ward to have him here longer because he's something you're building your defense around. Ellis, last question as we wrap this up. How would you characterize like what, what percent Denzel is along his way toward what he can be? Is he 70% of his potential? Is he 95% of his potential? Because again, I think we are unified on good still more out there. How much more? I think we're 80% of the way there and I'll split it evenly that 10%. I'd love to see a string of 15, 16 games played from him, you know, two or three seasons of that. And then the other 10% is just break up some of those high point balls. Don't get got by Corden Sutton or, or Tyree kill or let Travis Kelsey dicey like that. I, I get it, but just a lim- limit those big plays have more of an ability to play those high point balls, which I'm sure a coach like Joe Woods is confident he can coach it up. It's not something that either a guy can or can't do. I remember asking Steve Wilkes about that Cortland Sutton play. And I tried to pull up the transcript from gosh, that was like week nine of 2019, no luck, but he had a long detailed answer about the coaching points he was going to work with on Denzel on that play, which simply tells me there's hope. And for good reason, because he has all the physical skills aside from that stature. We've seen small corners work in this league. Jair Alexander in Green Bay is a good example of them, and they, they, they work in this league. Dendell's 80% of the way there. A huge step is stringing together a couple of 15, 16 game seasons. And then just those coaching points win at the high point, shut down some of these number one receivers more consistently. And before you know it, Denzel will be worth that 20 million if he lands it. All right. Play in 2020, telling us something about 2021. Next week's going to be different. So we, we think that the got to watch the tape day might slide around free agency. I think what we may end up doing next week is that we see, okay, the Browns added a couple guys. And so let's let our guys go to work, breaking down the numbers and film on them. So that may be later in the week, but next week, you're just, you're just not going to want to miss anything. Not that you ever do. You do not want to miss the Orange and Brown Talk feed next week when we really start getting in to the changing shape of the Browns roster. So Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, me, we'll be here to break it down. We appreciate you joining us on this version of Gotta Watch the Tape. Great dive. Ellis, talk to you guys soon. For Ellis, for Scott, I'm Doug. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.